What? How come I'm not in trouble? Even though what you did was wrong, you're still a good kid. That guy was a prick. Sometimes that matters more. Hello, friend. You've got mail. Hello, friend. This is the Hello Friend podcast, all about the series Mr. Robot. And my name's Margaret, and I'm here with Henry. Hey, Henry. Hey, Margaret. And we're winding down our recap of season one as we're getting ready to start the new season. Today, we're here to talk about mirroring. It's a really great episode that was written by the show creator Sam Esmail, directed by Trisha Brock, who has so many credits to her name, including The Walking Dead and uh, a bunch of other stuff. But of course, The Walking Dead is what stood out for me. Henry, what did you think of mirroring? So, you know, as we get closer to the end of season one, I get more excited because that means I can start talking about things without um, you know, getting a lot of hate mail for uh, being giving out spoilers, right? So, you know, finally being able to talk about the fact that Mr. Robot and Elliot uh, are one and the same, and that there seems to be uh, a lot of people inside of Elliot's brain. Yeah, there sure are. This was really an interesting shift in terms of tone. I mean, we had a lot more answers than I think we might've been expecting at this point, even though it is towards the end of the series. And of course the the title refers to another computer term, which is mirroring. And some people describe mirroring as just creating a copy, an exact copy of a website or a database or some kind of storage device. Qualifying aspect of that definition is it's not just an exact copy. It's an exact copy that's happening in real time. That's what mirroring is. And I think that's pretty interesting. That is really interesting. I mean, and as you think about what uh, what's going on with Elliot in terms of Mr. Robot, mirroring is kind of a good way to explain it. Yeah, because we definitely see how Elliot's experience is super fragmented. And we see that it play out in numerous aspects, most, most significantly with Mr. Robot, who we find out turns out to be his father. And we open the show with a flashback back to 1994. And the show at various points in time kind of hints at uh, Elliot's troubled childhood. I mean, it's questionable whether we can actually even call him Elliot, right? Because there's uh, various teasers and clues given to us that maybe that's not his real name. But as we kind of go back into his childhood past, we kind of see that his relationship with his mother was troubled there seems to be some sort of abuse or at least emotional abuse that was going on. Um, And that there's a lot of uh, regrets that he seems to harbor around his father. Yeah, a lot of regrets and a lot of really touching moments. We finally get to find out where the name Mr. Robot comes from. It's Elliot's dad's post-Evil Corp uh, small business. And I thought it was really funny that Christian Slater, Elliot's dad, was upselling a a computer with a hundred megabyte hard drive. 
<laughs> that brought back some memories for me at least. Uh, uh, um, yeah, I, I thought, you know, Christian Slater's character is so, I think he's so great uh, in season one. And to kind of see the various arcs and, and uh, personalities in a sense that we get to see Christian Slater put on, right? Because as he's being projected by Elliot, so to speak, Christian Slater has to play a different character than the flashbacks that we see where he plays, in essence, a different character altogether. A really wonderful dad in a lot of ways. I mean, the way he dealt with that really obnoxious customer and then made the moral decision that, you know, even though what his son did was wrong, you you have to admit the other guy was what he called a prick. And sometimes that matters more. And the compassion he showed towards his son, I thought it was really touching and really sweet. So do you think that he actually pushed him out the window then? Uh, do I think that Elliot, that Mr. Robot pushed Elliot out the window or that Elliot pushed himself out the window? So wasn't it said earlier in season one that when Elliot told, uh, it basically when his father found out that Elliot had told his secret to his mother that he pushed him out the window and that he broke his arm. Yeah. But then I thought it was made clear that it was Elliot who pushed himself out. And I just believe that's exactly what he did. I feel like that Elliot is so self-destructive that he's done a lot to self-harm and he it's just reconstructed differently. What do you think? Oh, I, I don't know. Like I, I thought, I thought that was maybe a theory in terms of him pushing himself out the window when he was a child and had revealed it. But I wasn't. Maybe I'm not remembering right. But I didn't remember uh, that actually being confirmed. What we got to see with Elliot as a young kid was that. He was already a kid who was burdened by his father's sickness, and he seemed a little bit older than his years, a little bit troubled, and he had good taste, good taste in movies. I mean, Pulp Fiction is a real good choice. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, we can't fault him for his taste uh, in music as well, judging by the kinds of names that he puts on the CDs. Totally. And I thought it was really pretty moving the way we saw the passage of time where this Mr. Robot store eventually became a bunch of other things, including a dry cleaners. And then it became a bank of E, an evil corp shell bank. And I mean, any of us who spend time in cities see a Starbucks in every corner, a Chase bank on every corner. And it was really, I think, chilling to see that reflected. Yeah, I think so. Um, and in a way, that's what Elliot's railing and fighting against is that he saw in his own life how evil corpse slowly took over his life um and the havoc that it wrecked on his family and i think in a way he sees himself as a guardian trying to protect the rest of the world from the same thing happening to them yeah even the fact that the customer who was yelling at elliot's dad said you know well from now on i'm going to go to best buy it even talked about how these large corporations had an impact on small businesses too, because a lot of those small businesses were put out because of the best buys of the world for better or for worse. And that actually, that, that scene with the small computer shop was pretty relevant and personal to me in that I worked at a small computer shop all through college and we were put out of business by CompUSA and Best Buy. Those were the two big chain stores that kind of moved in and all of a sudden, our computer, small little computer store 
was not really that interesting to people. Oh, I find that really fascinating. So when you saw the scene, it must have had a lot of memories for you on some level then, huh? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, we would have customers threaten us to go to CompUSA or Best Buy, you know? Like, they would come in with their paper ads, and they'd have some product circled that they were selling at a 50% loss, and they would ask us to match the price. And um, sometimes we could not. And they would, you know, huff and puff and say that they were going to go somewhere else. And we're just like, okay, go for it. Do it. Uh, I think it's interesting. I know this is totally, uh, I know we need to move on from this scene, but there were so many great props in that shop, as as you're saying. And there was a sign behind Elliot's dad that said, Best Buy of the Year. And <laughs> and it can't be an accident that Best Buy was referenced, the, the chain store, right around that time. And I think it contrasts, like, like you're saying, Best Buy could offer thousands of things at a cut rate price at a, at a loss. But these small shops, they were um, not necessarily buying at the same scale. And so a best buy of the year might be just a few things they can offer. It was a sign of a David and Goliath thing in a way. Yeah. And also, I think it also, it may be a statement about the depersonalization of our relationship with technology, where before you would purchase things from smaller hobbyist uh, shops, right? Because it's easier to forget now that computers were originally kind of a hobby that they were sold, the parts were sold in hobby shops. Uh, Steve Jobs and Wozniak kind of got their start selling things to other computer hobbyists. And it was a lot more personal. People would discuss things on electronic boards. They would describe to magazines and write in letters. Uh, and it was very much of a community. Whereas once Best Buy, and it got to the scale where Best Buy and CompUSA and these larger stores came in, it really took a lot of the community out of the quote unquote hobby. I think that's a really great point to make. And something that is so uh, meaningful is is just so subtly interwoven here. And I do also think it's uh, pretty relevant that in addition to Pulp Fiction, one of the other movies referenced was Stargate, which is sort of a time travel mystical type sci-fi film. And it was interesting. That was Mr. Robot's choice and Elliot wanted Pulp Fiction. <laughs> uh, the, the two sides to Elliot's brain, perhaps. <laughs> and then, of course, we're back at Elliot's apartment where Elliot is continuing to, in his own way, confront his dad. There are men in black that are just persistent throughout the series and in this scene as well. Yeah, I mean, I feel like with both episode 9 and 10, uh, Mirroring and Zero Day, it really kind of builds to a crescendo in terms of Elliot's mental activities and hallucinations. It starts coming pretty fast and thick and deep. I think it's super interesting that, and I would love to hear what you think, that Elliot's dad says to him, Christian Slater, the people, there are people out there who don't want me alive. We have to stick to the plan. And he says it's not even safe to discuss it in your apartment, Elliot. And he even at some point points out, Angela and Darlene as trying to prevent him. What, what did he mean by that to Elliot when he said that? So to me, I took it as the fact that maybe Elliot had manifested his father previously in prior kind of episodes uh, where he lost touch with reality. That's kind of alluded to throughout season one. And so this idea that just as like he tried to kiss Darlene only to have her freak out and remind him, hey, I'm your sister that if they recognize that he has actually 
created his father again as an imaginary figure that they would try to seek treatment for him. They would maybe commit him to an institution and in that way, get rid of Mr. Robot. Yeah, I definitely got that sense as well. Uh, I could also go off on a lot of other tinfoil hat theories, but that was a strong sense. And of course, I think it's interesting. We encounter Gideon a little bit. He's with his boyfriend, his boyfriend saying, don't worry about the end of the world, just have some breakfast. And they were all both hanging out, but Gideon was too distracted. And, you know, I've read a lot of reviews of the show and across the board, Gideon is considered a really likable and protagonist type character. So why do I dislike him so (laughs) Because, because maybe he reminds you of the youth pastor at a Christian group that you got dragged to on a Wednesday night one time, um, you know, and had to deal with you know this well-meaning man with a light beard with a sweater on who wanted to tell you about how you could use Jesus to fix all your problems. <laughs> I think that's part of it. And I think the way you described him before, I mean, he's like the vendor and, you know, he's like, I'm hanging on by my fingernails or maybe we've already fallen off a cliff. And I, and I granted the cliff hasn't become totally, totally apparent what's going to happen later on, but uh, he seems so powerless and ineffective as a boss. I think Gideon is a good way to sort people in our society. Like, there are some people who would find a character like Gideon or a boss like Gideon comforting, and there are people who would find a boss or a character like him really annoying. Annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I sort into the annoying as well. (laughs) And maybe that's the point, right? Like, Elliot is definitely also another one of those people who... Uh, sort into the annoying category with Gideon. Yeah, and I think we'll see a few other things later on with Gideon where it just completely sealed the deal for me. So I can't wait to talk about that with you. Um, did, what did you did you have any particular reaction to Elliot and Mr. Robot on the train platform where they kept thinking they were spotting men in black? I just saw that as kind of like a break, uh, a further sign of the breakdown of Elliot's fantasy slash reality um you know i i choose to believe that rather than think too hard about some of the more psychedelic scenes because i think i would join elliot in that merry little place where people like to put you in straight jackets if i thought too much about that stuff (laughs) yeah i mean there were definitely some cool bits of dialogue there and Elliot talking about the games he would play as, as a, as a morose little kid, but I am definitely far more interested myself in seeing Tyrell and Joanna interact at, at the uh, occasion of the birth of their newborn. Yeah. And it makes me really curious about exactly what the backstory is with those two, right? Cause we see flashbacks involving a lot of the other characters in Mr. Robot, but not with them. Oh, I know. I'm really fascinated by those two. I First of all, I think it's incredibly interesting how Tyrell seems completely undone by his wife. He's never comfortable around her. He actually seems really afraid of her. Yeah, he does. Um, he. It seems like there's something to their relationship where she has some sort of 
authority or power over him. And I'm curious what exactly that is. I do think it's interesting. She said to him, you know, I don't love you anymore, which was, that was pretty shocking. You know, I don't want you anymore, but if you want to continue to be part of this family, he needs to, uh, you know, keep it together and stay in control. And I thought that was a pretty loaded statement. Yeah. Um, I, I think also her alluding to him keeping control, because it kind of implies that he's lost control in the past. Um, and maybe there was some sort of ultimatum or uh, promise that he made. So, you know, more of the backstory that we don't know that makes us so curious about those two. Do you, do you have any theories in terms of who Joanna is? No. I, I mean, I have a theory about who those two might be collectively. Um <laughs> I, I think they might represent some sort of foreign nefarious interest that, um, you know, when Tyrell had alluded to the fact that he knew these financiers when they were in Steel Mountain, right? When he was talking to Elliot, when he found them in Steel Mountain, he said, oh, yeah, those guys, like, they're financiers for these two terrorist groups. Like, that kind of familiarity, does that come from working at Evil Corp? I don't think so. Like, maybe that comes from his other background. Yeah, there's something going on with them. And I just, I love seeing Tyrell unravel because that's just not where I would have thought his character would go this this season when we first encounter him. Yeah, and it was all largely through his own doing, right? That crucial loss of control on the roof um, kind of led the way to his downfall. And when Tyrell ends up back at Evil Corp, he still somehow thinks he's going to hang on, even though he murdered the new CTO's wife, Sharon, on the rooftop. And even though Anwar, the guy he had the hookup with, the receptionist guy, sent flowers to congratulate the Wellick family, the head of Evil Corp's just not having it. Tyrell needs to be disposed of, at least fired. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it seems like it would be a mistake to ignore the CEO of Evil Corp's abilities, right? Philip Price. Largely through season one, he's absent. And when we do see him, he's interacting with Terrell in a very brusque way. So it makes me wonder what he actually knows, because it seems like he's a man with a lot of information. Totally. And as we head later on into the episode, I mean, we talked a little bit about Elliot, Mr. Robot at, at the house where um, the family lived when, they, when Elliot was a kid. And then I loved when Angela was surfing the internet and she was listening to Sonic Youth, <laughs> oh. which I was so surprised that Angela would be into Sonic Youth from the album Goo. I used to be a huge Sonic Youth fan. When you live in New York City, it's like there was a period of music, a time in music where every benefit you would go to, every little thing, Sonic Youth would be there. And at first it used to be like, oh my gosh, Sonic Youth. And then after a while it was like, oh, it's Sonic Youth again. <laughs> <laughs> familiarity breeds contempt <laughs> but i liked how angela's dad tried to talk to her and she still had her earbuds uh, on and i can't tell you how often that happens to me do you ever notice that people always try to talk to you when you have headphones on yeah it's and especially if you have the kind of headphones that require a little bit more effort than just pulling them out of your ear like if they're the kind that go over your ear or have some sort of you know setup it's really annoying because every time someone starts talking to you, you have to like undo all of that. Yet people seem 
very optimistic about someone's ability to hear. We did see Elliot encounter Darlene and Angela. He was saying, I'm Mr. Robot. I'm effing far from okay. I have to credit the website, the Mr. Robot Wikia page, but that is a direct quote from Pulp Fiction. I'm effing far from okay is what Marcellus Wallace said in that movie. So Elliot's quoting Pulp Fiction at the end of this episode. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then, of course, Tyrell and Elliot, they come together and Tyrell is terrifying and is threatening Elliot. Um, They both feel like they have the power to change the world. They both want to be part of this plan. And Tyrell is the typical, if you can't beat them, uh, if you can't join the game, then destroy them from the outside. And so what does happen with Tyrell and Elliot? Because... That's the fundamental gap between 9 and 10, right? The uh, mirroring episode in Zero Days. It ends with the two together, and when we next see Elliot, he's by himself. I know, I know. It's really interesting. Elliot is so driven to find Tyrell after this, after they band together, and then he loses him, as he is to find his dad, a.k.a. Mr. Robot. Yeah, and I actually have been playing around with this idea that a lot of the final episode or Zero Day is actually a dream or a fantasy. Hmm. And I'm, I'm curious to see whether I'm right or wrong. I'm probably wrong. But just this idea that, well... Where do you how do you where do you go when you've succeeded in the hack that has wiped out all these records, financial records? Like where does this the where does the show really go from there? Like does it go into this dystopian world where everything's falling apart? Like that we see a little bit of an episode in the final episode, Zero Day, where we see, you know, countries, mm-hmm. economy falling apart and all that. Like, are we going to have a full season two of this? And so that kind of made me think maybe it's a dream. Like maybe it's later going to reveal that all of that was a dream and season two is going to pick up with Elliot and Terrell actually trying to make the hack work. I know because, and at least as far as this version goes, it's, it's Terrell who really is that missing piece, you know, his last act of defiance when he's, you know, before he's escorted out of evil corp, he, he allows this honeypot to plan to continue. That's what allows the hack to really take place with Darlene's two hours of code. I wonder, you know, in terms of Terrell's location if they caught him and when Philip Price at the end says he knows who's responsible we'll later find Terrell in some sort of prison or interrogation room either being blamed or giving up Elliot as the culprit. Well, this is a lot of fun, Henry. Thanks so much for chatting this week about Mr. Robot. Uh, Great talking with you, Margaret. Looking forward to the next one. Yeah, and I want to thank everybody who's been listening and subscribing and rating on iTunes or Stitcher or chatting us up on our Facebook page at Hello Friend. So definitely thanks for that. And I look forward to talking to you, Henry, really soon. Thanks, Margaret. I thought you said we were going somewhere safe. What the hell are they doing here? Won't be long now. I tried to protect your son, but they caught up to us. What are you talking about? That's Darlene and Angela. Trust me, son. I wanted to tell you sooner. Things got too accelerated at the end there. You have to believe that. 
No matter what anyone tries to do, I will never leave you. I will always be right here. Do you understand that? They're not going to break us apart again. What's going on? Listen Tell me. me right now. Listen to me because we don't have much time. They're going to try and get rid of me again, and I need you to not let them. Why would they get rid of Please, you? Please, Elliot, listen to me. I will never leave you. I will never leave you alone again. I love you, son. I be your mirror, reflect what you are, in case you don't know. I be the wind, the rain and the sunset, the light on your door, to show that you're home. When you think the night has in your mind, that inside you're twisted and unkind, let me stand to show that you are blind. Put down your hands Cause I see Your mirror. I be your mirror.